Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of that song. Pray that you'd fill our cup. We lift it up. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us and mold us to be more like Jesus day by day. We pray for the Holy Spirit to inspire, to instruct, and to uplift our hearts this morning. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. On the screen, I have a photograph of bread that is over 2,000 years old. It was baked in A.D. 79, and the reason why it was preserved was there was a volcanic eruption in A.D. 79. Mount Vesuvius erupted in Italy, covering Pompeii in ash, quite a tragedy, individuals perished instantly, and this volcanic ash preserved this bread, and you can find it in various museums throughout Europe, and uh, this particular bread was uh, analyzed by the British Museum, and they had an Italian chef that remade bread from the 2,000-year-old recipe, and you can go to the British Museum website and actually learn how to make 2,000-year-old, well, a recipe that's 2,000-year-old. And uh, isn't that remarkable? Bread has been uh, a part of the human staple for millennia, and today we are looking at the table of showbread that is found in the sanctuary. This is a photograph, by the way, from Messiah's Mansion which is coming to Anchorage this fall, and this is an exhibit of the Mosaic Sanctuary. And this table of showbread was found in the holy place of the sanctuary. And it's fascinating and interesting that food is located in the sanctuary. What is the significance of this? And we're looking at the sanctuary from the standpoint of God bringing us back to the Father's house, back to a relationship with him. And in our previous presentations, we noted that prior to the fall, the entire human race was in the most holy place experience with God. We were able to have a face-to-face open communion with God in, in just the presence of, of the Father. But because of sin, we're not able to have this intimate relationship anymore. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we are able to come back to that relationship with him. We come into the courtyard, we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're baptized as we noted last week, and then we go into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, the only illustration I could use, or I could think of, it's probably because we had a son, uh, that's now going to be two. Can you imagine that? I can't believe he's going to be two just in a short period of time. But one thing that we noted is so much of the focus is on birth, but then after birth, there's a whole other existence. Being born is one thing, and trying to parent a child after birth and making sure that he meets all of his markers is a totally another thing. And one of the things that I notice every time we go to see our pediatrician is that they would want to know, is he gaining weight? And how is he growing? That is a concern, uh, and especially the first few weeks, it it is critical that they are gaining weight, and if they're not at a certain percentile, we call that failure to thrive. 
So in, in our physical existence, we are born, and then it's not static after that. We need to grow as well, and it's the same way spiritually in our Christian experience. It's important to be born again in Christ, and then we must grow in Christ after we are born. And this is one way of illustrating it. It's in your study guide. It's in your bulletin as an insert if you want to follow along. And I have these filled in for you, so you don't have to fill it all in, but uh, this part is filled in for you. In the courtyard, you are born again, you become alive, and then in the holy place, you thrive after you've become alive. So in the courtyard is where you're born again. You accept Jesus as your Savior, you're baptized, you're saved, and then Jesus is like, let's grow together, grow in grace, grow in Jesus, and in the holy place, it is where you thrive after you become alive. And there's three articles of furniture in the holy place. There's the table of showbread, which theologians have applied to meaning Bible study. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. Then you have the altar of incense, which theologians have applied to our prayer life. And then the candlesticks, which can apply to our ministry and our service in our community and friends and sharing the love of Jesus with others and witnessing. Another way of putting it is the table of showbread, is reading the word, is like eating. The altar of incense, which is like prayer, is like air. And then the candlesticks, which is our witness, is fitness. And after you become a Christian, if you are realizing or aware of some backsliding or some challenges or you've lost your first love, one of the things that you can do is a quick diagnostic. Ask yourself, what's your prayer life like? What's your Bible study life like? And are you sharing Jesus with others? And what you'll usually realize is that in one of those areas at least, many times it's in two or of all the areas, there is a decrease in feeding on the Word, in praying, or in sharing your faith. And these are the things that God has given us to grow as a Christian, to grow in grace after we have accepted Jesus as our Savior. So we're born again in the courtyard, and then we grow in the holy place, and God has instituted these three elements, uh, feeding on the Word, prayer, and witnessing as an important part of our Christian experience. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, uh, Jesus quoted the Old Testament when he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice that Jesus relates our physical dependency on food to our spiritual dependency on his word. He's actually quoting the Old Testament here, as we noted earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And when you look at the context, this is from our scripture reading, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which, you neither, which neither your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In this context... When Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
It's talking about manna. In other words, God gave manna in a particular way to illustrate our dependency on the Word. There's many lessons that we can learn from manna. Uh, one day, when I get to heaven, I want to taste manna and see what that was like. But for 40 years, as the Israelites left Egypt and were on the journey to Canaan, they were kept alive by bread from heaven. Every morning, they would get up. The Bible indicates that it fell overnight with the dew, and when they got up in the morning, there was manna that was covering the earth, and every single day in their journey from Egypt to Canaan, they were sustained daily by heaven's bread. And it provided all the nutrition, everything that they needed, and we are on a journey as well from Egypt to our heavenly Canaan. Amen? And we need to be sustained every day by heaven's bread, by heaven's manna. And it falls every day, and it is accessible to us. And it's interesting because the first day that manna fell, the Israelites went outside, Exodus chapter 16, verse 15, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? And that's manna in the Hebrew. So manna literally means what is it? I guess that name stuck. They came out in the morning and said, hey, what is it? And every, that's what man is called. What is it? And it was something that they were not familiar, familiar prior to that, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, and notice what he said, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is heaven's bread. It fell every single day. They were to gather it and it was to sustain them in their journey. Interesting, some other um, elements or characteristics of this manna, the Bible notes in Psalm 78, verse 24, it is food from heaven. Psalm 78, verse 25, calls it the bread of angels. And Exodus 16, 31 notes that it was white in color and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Now, I'm a nutrition kind of, uh, I'm into shakes and all types of things, and we've spent uh, sometimes an exorbitant amount of money on these shakes uh, because they, they get you in these MLM uh, pyramid schemes and so forth and say, drink this shake and you will have all these benefits and so forth, and I always fall for those. But anyways, um, can you imagine the nutritional value of what heaven's bread was like as it fell every single day? They were to gather it up, and the Bible indicates in Deuteronomy that their feet did not swell, you know, and, the, and they, they were healthy all the way in their journey. This was God's way of providing for the children of Israel. Now, here are some lessons from manna. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, the Bible noted that I gave you manna that you might know that I might teach you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, the way that manna fell was an object lesson to illustrate our dependence on heaven's bread. Amen? Heaven's spiritual bread for making our journey from Egypt to Canaan. Here's our lesson number one in your study guide. God provides for my spiritual nourishment by making it accessible. Making it accessible. The Israelites did not have to go out there and forage for the manna. 
They didn't have to hunt for it. Didn't run away. It was there every single day. Not like picking salmon berries here in Alaska. It was not like just scavenging for this food and they were not out there fighting for it. It was available and it was accessible. It fell on the ground. Here it is in Exodus chapter 16, verse 14 through 15. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. It was accessible. Praise God for that. They just had to get up in the morning, and the manna was there every single morning. All they had to do was step outside of their tent and get it. It is accessible. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 says, But what does it say? The word is, what does it say? Near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Do you know we live in a golden age of accessibility to the Word of God. I don't know how many Bibles I have in my home. Furthermore, we have just these wonderful machines of technology where we can get multiple versions, and it's just a Google search away. Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, these wonderful resources that we have online. It is literally at our fingertips. God has made the Word of God accessible to us. Number two, very quickly, God provides for my spiritual nourishment by making it everything I need. The manna that fell from heaven had all the minerals, all the nutrition, all the vitamins that they needed to sustain them in their journey for 40 years. Exodus chapter 16, verse 35 the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. They did not arrive with scurvy and with just nutritional deficiencies and all types of ailments. God sustained them with the heavenly manna. And in John chapter 6, verse 63, the Bible says, The words I have spoken to you... They are full of the Spirit, and they are life. Did you know that everything that is necessary for your spiritual growth is right in here? Everything for you to thrive spiritually is found in the Word of God. They are full of the Spirit. They are life. Our next point, I take advantage of God's spiritual nourishment by gathering it early by gathering it early. Uh, there's an important lesson from the manna because in Exodus chapter 16, verse 21, the Bible says, when the sun grew hot, it, the manna, melted away. In other words, if you did not get the manna early, the sun would melt the manna so that it was no longer available. And this is from Leslie Harding. Manna melted with the rising of the sun and was then gone forever. We too must make gathering the heavenly fair our first task. The dawn is best, for, the noon is for noon is opportunity lost. The day's hectic activities will overwhelm the life unnourished by this celestial bread. And I've noticed that too. If you don't get your manna in the morning, all of the cares of this life seem to just crowd in and crowd out that time with Jesus. And then all of the hectic things, and especially with the cell phone and all these texts start coming in and emails, and you just get inundated. 
And this is the lesson from the manna. We need to get it early. And Psalm 5, verse 3 says, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. Moving quickly on, I take advantage of God's spiritual nourishment by gathering it daily. The Israelites did not eat manna once and were set for 40 years. They had to eat it every single day. And here it is in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Sometimes, just in the efficiency of time, I wished I could eat for the whole week. Imagine how much time you could save. But I enjoy eating. I think I would miss something about that. And it's the same way in our physical experience. We need to eat daily. You can't eat for the whole week. You can't eat for the whole year. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, I know many times we've applied this to our physical needs, but it also applies to our spiritual needs as well. Give us this day our daily bread. At the heart of the Lord's prayer is this prayer to give us this day our daily bread. This is from D.L. Moody. A man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air in his lungs with one breath to sustain him for a week to come. We are permitted to draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. Jesus is our heavenly manna, and Jesus makes this application in John chapter 6, verse 49, 51, and 52. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 56, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in them. This was a stunning statement to the first century Jew. First of all, he says, look, I'm the heavenly manna. Your fathers ate the manna and died. And he says, I am the bread of life. And he says, look, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In the first century, there were many accusations against the early Christians. One of them was that Christians practiced cannibalism. And this was a misunderstanding of the words of Jesus and what the communion service meant. And so many of the disciples left Jesus. And Jesus said, look, are you going to go as well to the twelve? And Jesus later clarified what he meant in that same chapter when he said, you shall eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's not talking about cannibalism. Look what he says in John chapter 6, verse 63. The words that I speak unto you... They are spirit, they are life. In other words, the way that we partake of Jesus and receive our spiritual nutrition is by feeding on the Word. Everything necessary for our spiritual development is found in the Word of God. And here is the parallel that the Bible is bringing out. The food is to the physical as the Word is to the spiritual. Food is to the physical as the word is to the spiritual. This past year, in my own spiritual journey, I felt impressed to, to fast 
uh, for 24 hours once a week. Um, when I told my mom I was going to be trying this, she said she was kind of worried that I was going to wither away. Uh, but uh, I decided that I would try this. Now, this is uh, descriptive, not prescriptive, uh, especially fasting. It's very personal, so I'm telling you my experience. I'm not saying this is something you have to do. This is between you and the Lord, and please consult your physician bef- before beginning any form of fasting. And there are different types of fasting, fasting of simple foods and so forth, fasting from media. So this is just my own spiritual journey, descriptive, not prescriptive. I decided that I would fast once a week, and um, part of it was from uh, a theological reflection that I had in, in the book of Matthew. Jesus says, when you pray, he didn't say if you pray, he says when you pray, and then after that he says when you fast, when you fast. In other words, Jesus assumes that fasting is a a part of the Christian experience. So I decided I would try that. Now, to be clear, I don't fast in order to earn my salvation. We're not saved by fasting. Uh, I did it for the benefits, to see if there are any benefits. And so I tried this, and so for about one year, I noted that in my calendar when I began, and so it's been about one year, I fast for about 24 hours, um, every Wednesday. So if I look a little bit weak on Wednesdays, you know why. I noticed something immediately. 24-hour fasts are one of the most difficult because after, I think, a couple days, I haven't gone past that too much, but uh, you kind of become numb and you're no longer hungry anymore. But that first 24 hours, when you miss a couple meals, it's amazing what happens to your body and how dependent you are on food. I'm hungry, you know, and I go down to pray because you're supposed to pray and fast, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I go down to pray, and all I can think about is rice and kimchi, you know, that's, <laughs> it's just, it's just in, at the forefront of my consciousness. I mean, that's all I'm thinking about because it's like, I'm hungry, and this, I realize, is after missing just a few meals, three meals, and I am down to this state of just all I can think about is food. We are dependent creatures. And one of the things that fasting has done is made me um, quite aware of my own mortality and a sense of, uh, you know, it's a lot of time of self-reflection, one of the benefits of fasting. But, but if we are like that physically after missing just a couple meals, imagine what we are like spiritually. Look, look at the analogy. Food is to the physical as the word is to the spiritual. If we are so dependent on food that we just miss one or two meals and we are in this state of like hungering and thinking that we are starving, imagine what our spiritual natures are like in regards to our daily dependence on the Word of God. And the strange thing is, or the irony is, that many times, I will admit in my Christian experience, I have come to the place where I passed the hunger stage in regards to the Word of God, and I become numb, that I don't even feel that craving for the Word of God anymore, and I think that I am fine. I, don't, I think that I don't even need Scripture. When in reality, if I were to see my spiritual nature, 
the same way I see my physical nature, I would be emaciated. I would be starving. So the Word of God keeps us alive after we have become alive. After we've been born again, we need a daily portion of the heavenly manna to thrive as a Christian. Everything necessary for our spiritual growth and development is right here. And we need to pray and say, Lord, give me a hunger for the Word of God. Help me to realize my need for Scripture. Now, this is a fascinating metaphor that the Bible brings out about eating. The way that we engage with food in order to receive benefit from it, we can't just look at food. Have you ever watched someone else eat and you're hungry? I mean, it's especially fasting. I go around the home when I'm fasting and, uh, and I smell something in the kitchen. My wife is cooking for Hudson. I'm like, oh, I need to get out of the house. You know, you, watching someone eat, you will not receive any benefits. Looking at the food, even smelling the food, or even touching the food, receive absolutely no nutritional benefit. Now, this is the metaphor that the Bible uses. What do you have to do? You have to put the food into your mouth. We can talk about that requires some faith and commitment. Every time you eat food that someone else has prepared, it's an act of faith. (laughs) Putting that in your mouth, I mean, how do you know the character of that person? You go to a restaurant, let someone, a complete stranger, prepare food, and you put it in your mouth, you swallow it, you put the food into your mouth, you receive it, and you ever tried food that was new and didn't go well, or food that was spoiled? You put the food in your mouth, and you're like, mm-mm, something's wrong. What do you do? You spit it out. Okay, so, so you receive the food, and if it's going okay, it smells all right, tastes all right, you're like, okay, chew it, and then here comes the commitment. You swallow it. Talk about acceptance. And then it becomes a part of you. That's the metaphor that the Bible uses for, for the way that we relate to food. To, to the Word of God. In other words, this does not us no benefit sitting on the shelf. You can even sleep on it. It won't provide you any benefit. The Bible says we need to receive the Word. We need to meditate on the Word. That is like chewing, to think about it over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. When you get up in the morning, you meditate on the Word. When you go on the streets, you meditate on the Word. And before you go to bed, you meditate on the Word. That's that. That's That's mastication, you know, meditation to think about the Word, and you receive the Word, and it transforms your life. And this is to be a daily part of our Christian experience. Keystone Habit, this is from a book I read not too long ago. It's one habit that alters every other area of life. A keystone habit creates a chain reaction, changing and rearranging your other habits as you integrate the habit into your life. In other words, there's certain habits that are keystone habits that if you practice this one habit, it has tentacles that seems to affect every other area of your life. And uh, we probably knew this, but they found that exercise is a keystone habit. If you just start exercising, It has an effect even on your finances. When people start habitually exercising, even as infrequently as once a week, 
they start changing other unrelated patterns in their lives, often unknowingly. Typically, people who exercise start eating better and becoming more productive at work. They smoke less and show more patience with colleagues and friends. They even use their credit cards less frequently and say they feel less stressed. It's not completely clear why, but for many people, exercise is a keystone habit that triggers widespread change. Exercise, a keystone habit that changes other areas of your life. I contend this morning that time with God in daily devotions, feeding on the Word, is a keystone habit. It will impact your marriage. It will impact your parenting. It will impact how you relate to your other co-workers, I believe, in a positive, loving way. It is a keystone habit that will transform your life, and the heavenly manna is there every morning. It fell with the dew. All you have to do is go out and gather it and partake of the heavenly manna. This is from the book Education, page 260. In the midst of this maddening rush, God is speaking. He bids us come apart and commune with him. Be still and know that I am God. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. They must give themselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God, and listen to this, for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of his spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. The wearied frame and tired brain will be refreshed. The burdened heart will be lightened. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ. To sit down in companionship with him, this is our need. This is our need. Now, I inserted another piece document in your bulletin, and uh, I want to invite you to take it out. I wanted to make this as practical as possible. And I have a handout here that has been helpful to me. And I pray that it will be helpful to you, because Many people are like, how do I even begin my morning devotions? And where do I begin? How do I start? And um, in, the, in the busyness of life. And by the way, if, if you are following us online, you can get this uh, online as well at our website, omalleysda.com. I want to thank Josh for uploading our handouts as well. So you can get all our study guides there. And this is online as well. And this has been a blessing to me in, in my personal devotional life just want to read some of the bold elements here. First, de- decide on a time. If you view your time spent alone with God as an appointment to be kept in your daily calendar, you will be less apt to miss or skip it. So, so set a time in your day, preferably in the morning, to spend time with God. Decide on a place. Finding the right place is key to your success. If you try to spend quality time with God lying in bed, I've tried this, it doesn't work. 
Okay, it does not work. You wake up an hour later. With the lights off, failure is inevitable. Choose a comfortable chair with a good reading light. Have a place for all your tools, a Bible, a pen, a journal, devotional book, and reading plan. When you get up in the morning, simply go to the place and everything is ready. I have a, a spot in the house that I go to. It's for my quiet time with God. And I slip away there with my Bible, with my journal, and it's my time with God. Decide on a time frame. There is no standard time frame for personal devotions. You have to decide how much time you can realistically commit to God. Getting started with 15 minutes a day can quickly develop into more. Some people can commit to 30 minutes, other to an hour or more a day. Start with a realistic goal that you feel that you can meet. If you start with a plan of two hours a day, day, failure to meet the goal will quickly discourage you. So take baby steps. 10, 15 minutes, time with God. Get up in the morning and get that heavenly manna. Uh, I want to encourage you to get a journal. A journal has been instrumental to me in, in helping me to reflect my thoughts in my conversation with God. And then a daily study plan. This has been um, just something that I followed in my morning devotions. Let me just go through a few points of this. Number one, um, let's just start with the intro. We suggest getting a special loose-leaf notebook just for your morning devotions. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can go fancy if you want, but you can just get a cheap one at Walmart and uh, get it stocked with paper. Have a pencil and pen and a Bible nearby. Keep your notebook organized so that you will not waste time trying to figure out where things are. It's also helpful to have a plan. The paragraphs below suggest a few simple keys to studying the Bible effectively and making most of your time with God. Number one, prepare. Before beginning the study of the Word of God, spend some time in prayer asking God to teach you. Number two, paraphrase. Take a blank sheet of paper and jot down the date and passage you'll be studying. Cover only as much as you have time to digest thoroughly, even if it's only six to eight pages, and then briefly paraphrase in your own words. And this study guide uh, recommends that you start with short practical books such as James or First Thessalonians, if you're wondering where to start. And this is my favorite part. It's principles. Next, spend time um, meditating on the passage. Look for principles, moral precepts that can operate in all situations. And uh, after I paraphrase it, these are the questions that I ask about the passage. Often the easiest way to find a principle is to ask yourself the questions, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? Is there something to thank God for? And then you write your reflections, and uh, I have the habit of writing my prayer to God in, in my journal for that day. Very simple, but this gives us uh, a one way of doing it. This is not the only way, but this is one way of having personal devotions with God. Now, just as an important note here in regards to your morning devotions, I would recommend that you do not do your doctrinal studies in your morning devotions. I mean, that's not the time to study the daily or in, in the book of Daniel, or, or uh, you know, the seven trumpets uh, to, to discover what they all mean. This is a time in which you feed your soul. 
If you're struggling with anger, do a Google search, Bible texts on anger, and they'll come up. You write it down, paraphrase it, and make it applicable to you. If you're struggling with bitterness, you can, you can do that. If you're struggling with peace, if you need comfort, whatever you need for that day, the Bible is, is food for the soul. And what you'll find in your Christian experience that you will begin to grow. You will begin to thrive. You will begin to become more like Jesus. And another resource that uh, I believe is wonderful, it's provided by our church, is the website believehisprophets.org. And I have the website in your study guide as well there at the bottom. And uh, this is a wonderful resource because it's a five-year reading program through the Bible with uh, beautiful books like Steps to Christ, Christ Object Lessons, Prophets and Kings, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, The Desire of Ages, Acts of the Apostles, and Great Controversy. And it's a reading plan where you can, you can follow, and they have the reading just for that day. You can follow it along, and it takes you through the Bible with the conflict series. And, and I've done this uh, a couple times. Um, one of the blessings of being a pastor is I get paid to, to read the Bible. It's a wonderful thing. And paid to be spiritual. Uh, so, so I read this, uh, this series through in one year, and it was so wonderful. I decided to do it the next year. And uh, it, just, it just fed my soul, and you'll, you'll be given glimpses of the love of Jesus in, in new and wonderful ways, and you can receive these, uh, these guides at the website believehisprophets.org. And this is a prayer that I want to encourage you to pray. Father, would you initiate in me a deeper desire for you? That's a prayer that I, I want to pray every day. Father, would you initiate, it's God's initiation, initiate in me a deeper desire for you. You can pray, so Lord, I don't hunger for your word. I hunger for other things. But would you initiate in me a deeper desire for you? And one thing that you can do, if you have problems or issues, um, like me sometimes, getting up in the morning at a decent time before your day begins, or early enough, what you can pray, and this works, pray, pray the night before and say, Lord, would you get me up? Would you send your angel to, to touch me in the morning so that I will get up? You will get up, trust me. The thing is, get out of bed. I heard one individual, after I shared this one time, he said, Pastor, I prayed that, and the Lord got me up the next day, and I said, Lord, this is too early. They rolled over. I said, but there's, there's grace. There's perseverance. You know, pray that prayer and say, Lord, get me up in the morning. And trust me, the Lord will get you up. He will send his angel. God longs to spend time with you. You can pray that. And if you want to read a chapter in the Bible, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's Psalms 119, and it's all about the word of God. And notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 103. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We can have this experience, amen? We can have this experience where we say, Lord, I long for your word. I long for your word. Father, would you initiate in me a deeper desire for you? Let us pray. <coughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of life. We thank you that after we have been, been born again, that you have given us 
through the Word of God, everything that is necessary for our spiritual growth and for us to thrive after we become alive. Lord, in the busyness of life, I pray that you would help us wake us up in the morning to spend time with Jesus every single day, to feed on your word, to be transformed by the word. And we pray that you would initiate in us a deeper desire for you. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.